hear the word of the Lord. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be only minor divisions among you. Is that what he says? No, what does he say? There be no divisions among you, and that you be mostly united in mind and thought. No, he says that you be what? Perfectly united in mind and in thought. Okay, please appreciate the spirit in which I am saying this. I mean no disrespect to the text or to Paul the Apostle. Uh, but verse 10 that we just read is obviously written by a single guy. Okay? Never been married. All right. Uh, I have to tell you a story. Uh, and my wife is in the nursery this morning. And if I want her to hear this story, I will tell her myself. I don't need your help. You can't hear me? Oh, she can hear me. Oh, Ken's like waving me down. I'm like, okay, can't you turn the nursery off for just a minute? Is that a thing? Okay, all right. Yeah, turn it off to out there, and then I'll, you'll know when you can turn it back on. That'll be fine. All right. Uh, the other day, my wife was wrong about something. We were no longer perfectly united in mind and thought. Uh, there was division amongst us. Okay, I saw something very differently than she did. Okay, so, as her loving husband, the only proper thing that I could do is I told... Hi, honey. <laughs> you can go back now. <laughs> we were just talking. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Okay, so, I stand by my statement. She was wrong about something. So I pointed out to her the error in her vision, okay? I told her, I said, honey, you're wrong, okay? And can you believe that instead of thanking me for my insight <laughs> and instead of returning to blissful unity in our marriage, she had the audacity to look me in the eye and say, no, honey, you're wrong. Then at the end of a rather spirited discussion, uh, we still both saw things our own way, not perfectly united in mind or in thought. Is that a fair assessment of what happened? Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, any of you been married longer than 20 minutes and know what I'm talking about? You've been there, you've done that, that's, that's your thing. Those of you who haven't raised your hand right now, you're lying in the Lord's church. Just want to point that out to you. Uh, and I think this applies to a lot more than just marriage, right? I think anytime you get two people in the same space, there will be times in which we don't always have perfect unity in the way we see things, in the way we think about things, and in the way that we think about what's going on around us. Okay, you can't. Right? In church, we are going to disagree with each other on some stuff. Is that fair? Okay. My wife and I have been together for 17 years. We've been married almost 14 of those years. 
I see things more in line with her than I do with anybody else on the globe, right? We have the same values. We've been through so many of the same experiences now. We've been together for a really long time. And if the two of us, in as perfect of agreement as we are about almost everything, can't see eye to eye on everything, then how in the world am I supposed to agree with you on everything, right? How in the world is it ever going to be possible for all of us who come from a wide diversity of backgrounds, a wide diversity of experiences, right? We've all got very different lives, read the same text, but read it very differently. How in the world are we supposed to do what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10? Until we can ever get to a point where all of you agree with me that I'm right about everything— we're going to have some divisions, right? So what do we do with this at the beginning of this section here in chapter 1? I got my dad on the phone earlier this week, uh, and I was asking him about, okay, when he first got into ministry, which was about 40 years ago that he took his first job in ministry, I was like, what were the issues, right? What were you guys arguing about in church 40 years ago? He said the big thing that was happening 40 years ago is the NIV had just come out. Right? And my dad really liked the NIV, uh, but there were some other leaders in the church who thought the, really, the only way you can get to heaven is by reading the King James Version, right? So they had some nice, big, church-wide arguments and fights. Some of you who are older than I am can remember what that was like uh, when churches were arguing over different versions of Scripture. Okay? They had some spirited discussions in those days, Right? He also told me that the church then was disagreeing quite a bit about divorce and remarriage. Mentions another thing that went through the church there in Tennessee he was at, uh, was they had a big argument over whether or not it was okay for their young people to go square dancing. Right? That was the thing. That was the thing. Y'all good? You, you okay, Brian? Okay. Brian's good. And then I asked dad, I said, okay, dad, so what were the issues 40 years before that? Like when your father was first getting into church, okay, my grandfather wasn't a preacher, but he was in church leadership, okay, what were the issues going on when he was about 30 years old, right? He says, well, the issues back then uh, was big about whether or not women had to wear hats when they came to church, Right? Some of you even remember some of those arguments, right? Like, what was it like when there was an argument whether or not a woman had to wear a hat when she came to church, or also whether it was okay for women to wear pants to church? Back in the day, women had to wear dresses, right? And it was scandalous if a woman wore pants to church, okay? Now we can't even get our deacons to wear pants that go all the way to the ground, Tom, but <laughs> they had different arguments a long time ago. Now, not too many churches are still arguing about any of those issues. I don't think anyone's horribly offended that I have an NIV with me this morning, right? No one's offended that um, some of our women aren't wearing skirts, right? Like, that's, those aren't our issues, but we have issues. Okay, I listen to podcasts every single week. I read articles every single week where we are debating in church circles different things, and they're different than they used to be 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 80 years ago. Right? And it makes me think, okay, in, in another 30, 40 years, right, when my kids are in church leadership, what are the issues they're going to be arguing about? Because I guarantee you they'll be different than the issues we're arguing about, which were different than what my grandparents were arguing about, right? 
anyone think that by the time my kids and grandkids are in church leadership, we won't have any arguments anymore? Okay? If you do, I need you to, well, never mind. That's a different thing. Okay, I don't think we will ever find perfect agreement in the Lord's church. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? What does Paul mean here in verse 10 with this inspired verse of Scripture? Well, let's get some more text on the board. Go to verse 11. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, well, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. All right, a few things uh, before we get to our actual application, before I say here's what I think it means. Um, here's some things we need to get on the board before we get to that, right? Um, if you're taking notes on the front of your bulletin, I've left you some blanks to write these down because uh, I think all three of these are pretty important, okay? First one, uh, I think this is not ever going to be as easy as just being biblical, okay? And don't hear me wrong. Uh, I want everything I do to be biblical. I want everything that we do as a church to be biblical. I think we all need to be studying our scriptures and trying as hard as we can to do everything that we do in a biblical way. I think in God's inspired word, he has given us everything that we need for success. I think our first task is always going to be going to scripture and going to God in prayer, recognizing that he leads and not us, right? Okay, what I mean by this is that there's pretty much nobody in the world or in the church saying, well, we don't really care what the Bible says. We don't care what God says. We're just going to do it our own way. Okay, with very limited exceptions, most people who are trying to follow Jesus say, I think that what God says is more important than what I say. Okay, in other words, everybody's trying to be biblical. Does that work? I think people I disagree with think that they are more biblical than I am. I think there are some things that are very clear in Scripture. And, but someone else who has a lot of knowledge, someone else who has studied it diligently, someone else who has expertise will read it and come to a different conclusion than I do. Okay? We're all going to read the text a little bit differently. It's not as easy as just saying, well, I'm being biblical, right? Now, I think there are some things in Scripture that are extremely clear and there can be no debate about them, right? I think it is really clear that Jesus is the Son of God. I think it is really clear that the cross and the resurrection bring about our salvation. I think it is really clear that we should love people, that we should help others, that we should give, and that we should pray. I think there's a lot of stuff in Scripture we could keep going that are extremely clear. There's no debate about any of them, right? You've got to follow Jesus, right? That's pretty clear. But I think there are a lot of other things in Scripture that aren't so clear. Okay, what exactly should our worship service look like? Well, how should we structure all of our ministry leadership and our programs? 
Okay, how exactly do heaven and hell work? Okay, there's a lot of stuff that's not as clear as we might want it to be. Uh, and typically, that's where we'll get into disagreements with each other, right? Most of us aren't disagreeing about whether or not you should go to God in prayer, okay? But we'll disagree about a lot of the other stuff pretty, pretty heavily. That work? That fair? That all make sense? I think every generation will have their issues, and it's not as easy as saying, well, I'm being biblical, and everyone who disagrees with me is obviously not reading their Bible closely enough, right? It's not quite that easy. You know, ironically and sadly, uh, many churches have divided because Paul says that we should all be perfectly united in mind and thought here in verse 10, right? It's not what Paul had in mind. All right, so that's number one. Uh, second thing I think we need to get on the table is I think unity is a strength of the Gwinnett Church of Christ. Okay? I think we do this pretty well. Right? We don't do everything wonderfully as a church. Okay? We just don't. We're not perfect. We're not good at everything. Uh, if you want to find a church with bigger programs or more programs uh, or more expensive production quality, uh, even if you want to go find a more charismatic and polished preacher, you can go find it. Okay? Not a better looking preacher, but you can find a more charismatic preacher. Right? I can tell you, though, that you would be hard-pressed to find a church with better unity. This church does this well. You know, speaking of production quality, uh, I'm working on figuring out what my walk-up music should be. Okay. The other day we went to the Gwinnett Stripers game, uh, and whenever one of the baseball players walks up to the plate to bat, they all have a song that they play while they walk up. And I was thinking that would add a lot to your worship experience if when I'm walking up to preach, we had a song you'd be like Bruno Mars or Imagine Dragons or something cool, you know, just to let you know how cool I am before I got up here. And then I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, the problem is, is it's guys like Tommy and Tom that run all the stuff in the back and set it all up for us, um, and there's no telling what would actually come across the speakers by the time I was walking up here. I'm kidding, okay? I'm, I'm joking. Okay, but here's where I'm at. All right, I will trade expensive programs and professional productions for healthy relationships, Every time. And again, we're not perfect at this. Uh, here at GCC, we hurt people's feelings, uh, just like you get in any kind of a family situation, right? Uh, but family unity is a core value of who we are, uh, and we fight for it dearly. Uh, I regularly hear our shepherds talk about how we are going to do whatever it takes to make sure that we have family unity and that we make this a loving place. That is a core driving value of who we are, and we protect it dearly. Okay, okay and spoiler alert, because we'll hit this in just a bit, uh, but we've proven here that we can disagree on stuff and we can even sometimes hurt each other's feelings and still have great unity. Okay, that's possible. Fair enough? All right. Number next, uh, I think it's important to say Paul is not in this text devaluing baptism. All right, this is just an aside. I've heard people use this text before and say, see, baptism's not that important. You don't have to be baptized. Paul even says here in this text it's not that important. Okay, but I think that is totally missing the point of what Paul is doing. 
right? Paul is writing to a group of people, all of whom have been baptized, they're all in the church, and he's reminding them, who were you baptized into? It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Cephas, it wasn't any other church leader. You're all baptized into Jesus. Your identity is therefore in Jesus, and if you keep that first, then it doesn't matter who baptized you because it's all about being in, guess what, Jesus, right? And if you get that right, then the rest of the picture starts to make sense. Okay, so again, Paul's not devaluing baptism. He's just reminding us that what baptism is about is it's about connecting us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism itself isn't the gospel, but it connects us to the gospel of Jesus. And we've got to keep our focus on the gospel. That work? Okay. All right. So what does this text mean? Uh, if we're never going to be in perfect agreement on everything— and if it's not just as simple as saying, well, I'm being biblical and everyone else needs to read it more like I do. Okay, if it's not that, then what is it? Right, and I think we see it in the very last phrase of our text this morning. And this is something that we will continue to talk about in the next couple weeks because Paul will camp here for a while. This is something we even started talking about last week. Okay, but here's what I think is the main point of the whole thing. As he talks about, less the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If we keep a cross focus in our lives, if we truly focus on Jesus and if we focus on what he has done for us, okay, in other words, if we can focus on the gospel, okay, then we can have the kind of unity that Paul's talking about even if we don't agree on every other issue under the sun. We got to agree on Jesus. All right. So several things that this, this means if we take this seriously. Okay, and again, I've given you space on the bulletin to write these down. Um, this, is, this is really where I wanted to go. This is what I think is important. All right, when we focus on the cross, okay, number one, it's really hard to focus on trivial stuff. Okay, if we focus on the cross, it's hard to focus on all the other things. You know, we had VBS here a couple weeks ago. And coming off of VBS made me think of this story. But when I was about 20 years old, I interned at a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And one of the things I was responsible for was directing the VBS skits every night. Okay? It's an important job, good thing to put an intern in charge of, right? And we got into a big argument, me and the guy who was in charge of producing all the sets. Both of us were about 20 years old. And we got into a huge, extremely theologically significant argument. VBS this year was about the story of Jonah. Okay, in the chapter one of Jonah, Jonah gets on a boat, right? And the huge theological argument that we just could not get past was whether or not the captain of the boat should stand in the front of the boat or in the back of the boat. Okay, I had the theologically correct position that the captain goes in the front of the boat. Okay, don't shake your head at me, okay? Heretic. All right. The other guy thought, no, the captain is supposed to sit in the very back of the boat, and then we got to argue about it. Now, obviously I was correct, but did it matter where the captain of the boat sat in the VBS skit? Not even a little bit. Okay, why did we argue about that? I'll give you a hint. It's not because either one of us cared that much about where the captain was in the boat. It's because we were really arguing about other things, and that became the thing that we really argued about right? This happens in church all the time. The thing that we argue about isn't what we're really arguing about. The thing that we're arguing about is personality differences and conflict that people can't get past, and then we find an issue and make that the thing that we actually argue about. That made sense. Don't, don't say that. Come on. <laughs> all right? What we tend to fight about in church has to do a whole lot more with personalities than it has to do with the actual issues involved, okay? 
What I think, my point is, what I think Paul's getting at in this text is, if we truly keep the main thing, the main thing, if we truly can learn how to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and sharing that message with the world that desperately needs it, then it is a whole lot harder for us to spend a lot of time arguing over trivial stuff that doesn't really matter that much. If we can have unity on the main thing, it makes everything else come back into focus. You know, when I was talking to my dad about the great NIV-KJV debate of 1980, uh, he said that the argument wasn't really so much about that. It was about a couple of church people who were really on different pages on a lot of stuff, and that just became the latest thing they could argue about, right? That's what happens. But if the cross is true, okay, and if we're focused on inviting people into the gospel story, if we're focused on connecting people to salvation, if we're focused on encouraging each other in our daily walk trying to follow Jesus, okay, then it becomes really hard to argue over a lot of other stuff, all right? Number two, when we focus on the cross, it's also really hard to focus on human leaders. Okay, when we remember that Jesus is leading, it's a lot harder to focus on the men and women who are leading right in front of us. You know, numerous times we've seen when big celebrity pastors leave a church, uh, the church tanks. Okay, very famously, just a few years ago, the biggest church in Seattle, the biggest church in all of the northwest of America was Mars Hill. Okay, and their big celebrity pastor stepped down. Okay, and just a couple weeks later, they had to close the doors on a church that just a few weeks before had thousands of people gathering because that whole church was built on him and his personality. Okay, the church could not survive after he left. Okay. Uh, the only church I've ever really been well acquainted with that had like a real celebrity kind of pastor, uh, my uncle was on staff in San Antonio with Max Licato and his church. All right. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about all the people that worshiped there or anything about what they were doing or anything like that. Okay. But whenever he stepped down, when Max Licato decided he was going to quit preaching and just focus on writing books because he felt like he could help more people by writing books than by preaching, okay, the church braced themselves for a loss of 500 people when he quit preaching every Sunday. Okay. That's not good, Right. Whenever we're focused on the human who's leading rather than on Jesus who we're all trying to point to, we get things in the wrong way. Okay, and Paul's directly addressing that in this text to the Corinthians saying, it's not about following Paul. It's not about following Peter or any other charismatic leader who might come along. Charismatic leaders are going to come and go, right? Preachers are going to come and go. Different things are going to happen. If we keep our focus on Jesus, then that's where you build a church. Now, I am all in favor of signing autographs and taking pictures at the back after service. It could happen someday, right? Okay, but God help us if we're ever following anything other than just Jesus Christ. All right, number three. This is probably the point I need after that, right? Um, when we focus on the cross, it's really hard to be arrogant, Okay, if we're really focused on the cross of Jesus, it's hard for us to be arrogant. And if we're being honest about ourselves, most of the time when we disagree with people in a church context, most of the time when we can't figure out how to get along as co-followers of Jesus Christ, it's because our pride is getting in the way. 
right? The root of pretty much every vice that we struggle with comes back to our own pride and our own wanting to put ourselves first and others second. And the whole point of the cross of Christ is we flip that on its head and we learn how to put other people first and me second. You know, I look at my own life and I think I have sacrificed a lot for the church. Okay, I took my wife and we moved away from home and we lived in Abilene, Texas for over two years. Okay, if you've ever lived in West Texas, you know that is a sacrifice. Okay, since then, I've moved all the way across the country, all the way east of the Mississippi with all you people, right? You know, I could have been an engineer. I've got a brother-in-law who did the engineering program. He finished the engineering program I started. I dropped out of engineering so I could become a preacher. He's doing well as an engineer. You know, I'd be lying if I said I've never thought about what it would be like to step out of ministry and get a nine-to-five job like he has. He gets to leave his work at the office every day when he goes home. I've sacrificed a lot. You know, also, my wife and I, we give. We write a check every week to the church. This week, we actually wrote two checks. Be impressed. There's a lot of other things I could spend that money on. You know, we also give time. I mentioned VBS earlier. There's a lot of other things I could have done in those evenings rather than come up here and be with all those kids, right? Okay, golf isn't going to play itself, right? A lot of other things I could have done with my time. I have sacrificed a lot of time for the church. Okay, have I sacrificed a lot for the church? Yes. Okay, what's wrong with that mentality? <laughs> Everything, right? Yeah. Okay, let's compare that for just a second to what Jesus gave. Mm. Yeah, Jesus says following after him means taking up our cross and following Jesus. Okay, if I live my life in the glory of the cross, focusing on what Jesus has done for me, if I think about how he came to this world and lived amongst us and gave his life and sacrificed for me and went to the cross willingly because he loved me, then what does that do when I start thinking about what I've given to the church? Man, it's really hard to be arrogant when we're focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. Many of you have given tremendously to this church. Many of you have invested fully your lives in the kingdom of God, much more than I have done. Okay, but none of us have gotten to the point where we are truly loving the church like Jesus loved the church. And if we remember how much Jesus loved the church, how this is the bride of Christ, how he gave everything for us, okay, that keeps us in a place of humility. And I think if we'll have that kind of humility, uh, then it's a whole lot harder for us to be divided. I think we can have the kind of unity that Paul envisions here, not because we agree on everything, but because we agree on what matters most, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. All right, at this point in our service, uh, we are going to sing an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, this is a time in our service where we as the church want to be here for you. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. We would love to explain to you in greater detail what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, we'd love to talk with you about what it looks like for you to be a Christian. Um, before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close this with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.